Welcome to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. Our program is designed to offer solutions to those individuals with exceptional needs, plus families, professionals, and educators. Dr. Sean and his guests will share ideas that you can begin using immediately in order to promote a harmonious relationship and move forward. Now, here is your host, Dr. Sean Surface. Well, good morning, Voice America listeners, and so happy to have you with us this morning. Over the last few weeks, we've been discussing stress and anxiety, trauma, childhood adversive events, and the last time we were happy to have on Cindy Russell and Mallory Membribus to discuss our Peer Social Skills Program. The discussion of ADHD came up last week, and I had a few phone calls and emails in regards to it, and I'd like to further discuss that this morning. I, I see ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder, as a hopeful skill and not as a deficit. And I'll explain that more as the morning goes on. So sit back and get comfortable and let's begin a discussion on Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder and Attention Deficit Disorder. You know, even within the title, there's two negatives. There's Attention Deficit so you got the deficit and then you got hyperactive disorder so you're a disorder also and i truly believe that many people that have attention deficits are utilizing a skill that is instinctual you know 50,000 years ago when we were all sitting in africa we knew if we had to travel around a bit we knew where to get food. We knew where other villages were. We knew where, what the smoke was that was coming over the hill. We knew the language that was being heard. But as we started to migrate out from our starting points in Africa, we became more and more in need of knowing what was around the corner, what was on the other side of the hill, what were we going to run into. So a hyper alertness became extremely important. Now, especially for men, men were given the job of making sure that we were safe and, and trailblazing. They would make sure that we were safe. And by and how would they do that? By staying constantly alert in regards to what was going on around them. The women's job at the time primarily was to, once a site was found, was to gather foods and nourish the group and put in the comfort things, where the men's job was to, again, keep people safe and keep attention consistently on what was going on around them. Now, there are some times also where a woman was not attached to a group or a male. Therefore, she was doing it on her own. She was keeping high attention to things that were going on around her. In weeks past, I talked about on the show in regards to anxiety we talked about a part of the brain called the bed nucleus terminalis. And it's, or the bed nucleus stritea terminalis. And its purpose is to keep the brain alert in regards to any possible dangers that may occur. So what it does is it kicks in the parasympathetic nervous system, which is the part of the nervous system that does our fight or flight. Am I ready to fight this thing in front of me or am I going to run like heck and get away from it? Flight. When we look at somebody that is under constant stress, that bed nucleus is often at play. And if it is, it is what is keeping the brain alert. And it can lead to things like PTSD because post-traumatic stress disorder because the person is so alert and is never down. But it also has led to genetic change. And what that change was is it made certain types of men 
primarily because ADHD is primarily diagnosed in men or in males. Uh, it made us hyper alert. And it is a skill that is a warrior skill. It's a skill that allows that person to be prepared to protect themselves, protect others, and to have a mindset of future thinking and the ability to focus in on a lot of detail. So ADHD and attention deficit disorder without the hyperactivity, it can be explained in different ways and you can look at it as a deficit, but truly, I believe it's a skill. And again, it's a warrior skill. It's a skill that even though quite often has been seen as a deficit, it helps a lot of people to be creative, have imagination, focus on the big picture. And though it does lead to some impulsivity and some loss of um, impulse control, that also is there as a quick reaction if something dangerous occurs. So now dangers today may not be lions and tigers and bears. Instead, it's stresses that come up and things that come up around us that hinder at times our ability to lead the kind of life we might want to. So what what is ADHD? How is it described in the scientific field? How are is the medical field describing it? So ADHD. ADHD is a highly genetic brain-based syndrome that has to do with the regulation of a particular set of brain functions and related behaviors. These behaviors are collectively referred as executive functioning skills and include functions such as attention, concentration, memory, motivation, and effort, learning from mistakes, impulsivity, hyperactivity, organization, and social skills. There are various contributing factors that play a role in those challenges, including chemical and structural differences in the brain, as well as genetics. So executive function is a huge part of how we think, how we dive into our environment and try and survive. And it allows us to pay attention, to concentrate on certain subjects. It allows for memory. It's that motivation to learn. And it's learning just not just from the things that go well, but learning from mistakes also. So who, who has ADHD? According to the data, approximately 5% of adults have ADHD. That represents over 11 million people in the United States. It occurs in both in men and women, and it persists throughout the lifespan. ADHD usually persists throughout a person's lifespan and is not limited to children. So this is something that carries on into adulthood and is not something that is completely uh, uh, absent after childhood. Quite often you see a higher level of the hyperactivity during childhood and that's because the person is truly getting used to their brain and how it, how it functions. Since ADHD is a neurobehavioral condition, there is no cure and the majority do not outgrow it. Approximately two-thirds or more of children with ADHD continue to have symptoms and challenges in adulthood that require treatment. ADHD occurs in both men and women. While initially the research was focused on studying hyperactive school-age boys, we know that women also have ADHD. Boys and men are likely to be referred for ADHD testing and treatment and receive accommodations and participate in research studies, which makes it hard to 
identified the ratio of men to women with ADHD. Now, let's say it another way. A lot of men get referred, or a lot of males get referred for counseling or for some type of testing and treatment because they're demonstrating the hyperactivity and the impulsivity. And you may not see as much of that in girls. Um, they may not externalize as much. Unfortunately, they may shut down instead or become depressed because of challenges with attention. So we don't know, really, is it more prevalent in men? Yeah, the research suggests that it's more prevalent in men, but that may just be because there's a lack of study on women. ADHD in women are consistently underdiagnosed, undertreated compared to men, especially those who do not demonstrate hyperactivity and behavior problems. It's the behavior problems, the externalization, that is the challenge for most. Not every case of ADHD is the same. There are different subtypes. There's inattentive, there's hyperactive, and then there's a combined type. And every person has a unique brain profile. As with anything else, no two people with ADHD are exactly the same, and everyone experiences ADHD in their own way. So that means that treatment plans are not all going to be the same. That means that there will be differences in one medication may work for one, where medications may not work at all for another. So there is no absolute treatment, and we don't even attempt to treat in diagnosing each person in the same way, though we will look for attentional issues, obviously. The diagnosis of ADHD is outlined by the American Psychological Association and the DSM-5 as a lifelong persistent pattern of inattention and hyperactivity, impulsivity that interferes with attention, interferes with functioning or development across time and settings. The diagnosis requires the following criteria. Inattention. Six or more symptoms of inattention for children up to age 16 or five or more for adolescents 17 or older. Symptoms of inattention have been persistent and present for at least six months and they're appropriate, excuse me, they are inappropriate for the developmental level. Often fails to, the person often fails to give close attention to details and makes careless mistakes in schoolwork, at work, and other activities often has trouble holding attention on tasks or play activities, often does not seem to listen when spoken to directly, often does not follow through on instructions and fails to finish schoolwork, chores, or duties in the workplace, and often has trouble organizing tasks and activities, often avoids or dislikes or is reluctant to do tasks that require mental effort over a long period of time, such as schoolwork or homework, often loses things necessary for tasks and activities, such as school materials, pencils and books and tools, and their wallets, keys, paperwork, eyeglasses, mobile telephones. It sounds like a lot of us. We do tend to, you know, a lot of us tend to lose things and get off task, but it's that inability to regain uh, an on-task momentum because the brain is so caught up in in paying attention to so many things, it's so very easily distracted. So often it's, you know, your brain is forgetful of daily activities. So it's this constant need to con- try and keep what's going on in front of you active and going, but at the same time to be able to Uh, deal with all the different information and all the different things that are distracting, all the different stimuli that are going on around you. So we're going to take a little break, and when we return from the break, we'll continue to discuss the different areas of ADHD, but also, you know, the uh, looking at different views of it. So we'll be back in a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Step by step, you made it through the journey of pregnancy. 
now your baby is in your arms and you're on the cusp of a new journey, breastfeeding. As a new parent, you receive a lot of advice, much of it conflicting, some of it outdated. Tune into Born to be Breastfed with host Marie Biancuso to bust through the myths about feeding your baby. Marie and her guests will help you figure out what you can expect and put you on the best and surest path on your breastfeeding journey. Listen every Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be, and our goal is to assist your family in having the supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back. I hope you've been able to get yourself a little cup of coffee and return to our conversation. Um, they did just give out the call-in number. And for those of you that were interested last week in the ADHD, if you're wanting to call in and ask any questions, please do. one 472 Okay, so we were talking about the different areas of ADHD and now let's talk a little bit about the hyperactivity impulsivity parts. Usually, we would want to see six or more symptoms of hyperactivity and impulsivity. Now, hyperactivity means that the person moves around a lot, has a lot of activity going. Impulsivity means that they do things commonly without thinking first or they think about it and they do it and they don't think about the the repercussions of the outcomes so uh so what does it look like well again we look for six or more symptoms of hyperactivity impulsivity for children up to age 16 or five or more for adolescents 17 or older and adults symptoms of hyperactivity and, and impulsivity have been present for at least six months so we're not looking at something that they just started doing a couple weeks ago this is something that is really important for, uh, sorry, very important for you to, for the, the person to be able to show that these symptoms occur, but that they've been going on for a while and interfering with daily life. So it's not just that they just, you know, happen to have a bad week. They're often fidgeting with or taps their hands and feet, squirms in their seat. I talk about kids in school, and there are literally like two kinds of kids that sit in schools. They're what I call a butt sitter and a knee sitter. A butt sitter is sitting on their bottom, ready to learn, focused in on what the teacher is talking about. A knee sitter is ready to get the hell out of there. And so they're constantly on their one of their knees looking to see you know, what's going on around them because of that high level of distractibility. So it's very hard. It's very hard to concentrate on schoolwork. So one of the things that we can do is just say, hey, buddy, I want you to sit down on your bottom. Because once their bottom is on the chair and their feet are on the ground, they're more grounded, literally, and thus they're a lot more likely to be able to uh, focus and learn and concentrate. 
They often will leave their seat in situations when remaining seated is expected. So you see this person bopping up and down a lot. The kid will learn certain, I want to say, tricks. Like they'll come up and they'll ask the teacher a lot of questions. They'll just keep coming up. Or keep going to their bag or keep going to their backpack or something like that. Some, or having to go to the bathroom. You know, any reason to be able to move. So when you have a group or you have a, 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 an individual, but usually you have a couple kids, it's really great to start the day with a gross motor activity and to continue to have little gross motor probes throughout the day where you'll do just a little something in order to get the person's big muscles moving. Um, the person may often run about or climb in situations where it's not appropriate. You know, we don't want to take the kid out of the kid, though. So a kid may do things that he doesn't realize are quote-unquote inappropriate. He's just trying to have fun and play. Uh, we have one little friend who just climbs and climbs and climbs all day long. She would climb any tree, any time, and her little baby sister is doing the same thing. So it's kind of a familiar, it's a family thing. And they look very hyper. She looks very, you know, impulsive, but she's not. You know, she needs that gross motor activity in order to feel safe. And at the same time, sometimes kids who are a little anxious might want to perch up on something tall so they can look down around them and see what's going on. So we can't make everything into... A deficit, there's a very famous, or there's a very funny, I should say, um, cartoon of William Shakespeare. And he's a little boy, and there's papers all over the floor with scribbled writing all over it. And his mother is standing, and she's talking to a doctor. And she's saying, yes, he's just writing, writing. His papers are all over the place. And the doctor says, well, I can make him just like any other boy if you, if you would like. I have a medication that will make him like any other boy. And that's the thing. It's like sometimes these traits are the person's personality, who they are. And we never know what it's going to lead to. What we don't want is we don't want the inattentiveness and the distractibility to become so overwhelming that it becomes a anxiety-provoking or depression-provoking situation. So... These kids, sometimes they're, they're, you know, they want to play, but they're really, they have trouble playing with others or taking part in leisure activities in a quiet way. You know, they can do more active activities, but, you know, when it comes time to do a quiet kind of group or a quiet independent activity, it's pretty hard on them. It's often on the go, acting like a driven motor, often talks excessively often blurts out an answer before the question has been completed, often has trouble waiting for his or her turn, often interrupts or intrudes on others. Now, if you think about it, the talking excessively, that is a way of alerting other people to your existence, but also to what's going on around you. Blurts out an answer to a question before it's completed. Look, when that tiger is getting ready to chase you, you need to come up with an answer and a response way before that lion gets to you or that tiger gets to you. So coming up with responses quickly may be part of your defense mechanism for your ADHD. Has trouble waiting his or her turn. You wait too long, you might not live. So therefore, the child's brain is set to, and the individual's brain is set to do things like interrupt and not be able to wait turns because they are so in tune to making sure that they're on top of everything. And it's, it's very hard for some to understand that. And the interrupting, there's a lot of interrupting that may go on. And then the person who's told to wait their turn or to be quiet often gets upset and shuts down. And why are they interrupting? Because they want to make sure that they don't miss a beat. They want to make sure that they, and, and, and frankly, they may feel very uh, uh, inadequate because they are having trouble 
in school, they might even be having trouble socially with others because of these innate skills or innate things that are going on inside of them. So, you know, people are going to present in different ways, but usually we want to see that there's some type of inattentiveness or hyperactive impulsive symptoms were present before age 12. Now, after age 12, after adolescence, there could be other reasons why the individual is acting in such a way. It could be anything from depression to anxiety to other types of, of concerns that the person's having that doesn't allow them to focus on the, everything that's going on in front of them. Now, we also don't want to say, look, it just happens at school or it just happens at home. So several symptoms have to be present in two or more settings. You want to see it at school and at home or at work, you know, with friends or with relatives and other activities. There can't just be the one, at, one environment the person goes into where they have these challenges. Otherwise, that's environmentally dependent. And you got to look at the environment and what's going on. You know, if there's a lot of chaos going on around the person or if things are changing and it's out of the person's control, they're going to, the first thing that they're going to try and do is control the situation. And they're not going to control it out of a negative. They're going to control it because that's what their instinctual brain tells them they need to do. They have to be able to control, out of control, dangerous situations. So there, there is clear evidence that symptoms interfere with or reduce the quality of social, school, and work functioning. Yeah, people have a challenge. People have a challenge because people have a challenge with them. And it is, it's a double-edged sword. You demonstrate these behaviors out of safety and apprehension concerns. But then because you engage in these certain types of behaviors, it kind of bugs people. So they don't want to hang with you. And they may not come to you at work to help solve problems. You may get left out of certain meetings or left out of certain situations because they don't want to deal with your impulsiveness. And so there are ways to help yourself focus in so that you can reduce your own arousal level so that you're not so concerned about the safety issues and you could be and you, and you may not even be aware of it you probably aren't aware of it especially as a kid you're certainly not aware that that's why you're acting the way that you are but as adults we do need to realize that's what's going on with kiddo and and utilizing those skills in a productive manner the symptoms are not we also have to make sure that we're not looking at something else is this really an anxiety disorder which can be so similar. Is it a dis dissociative disorder where the person is really not in tune with what's going on in, in, the, in the reality around them? ADHD is further broken down into three subtypes. Combined presentation. Symptoms are both, I'm sorry, symptoms of both the criteria of inattention and hyperactivity, impulsivity are there and are there for at least six months. Predominantly inattentive presentation where for the most part the predominant symptoms of, of inattention but there's not a presentation of the hyperactivity and and again you want to see that present and then there's a predominantly hyperactive impulsive presentation where the symptoms of hyperactivity but not inattention were present so the person could be really hyper but be totally tuned into what's going on around them and that hyperactivity impulsivity really can be a direct cause or a direct uh, uh, be directly influenced by that part of the brain that we were talking about, the, the bed terminalis, because it is going to keep that brain on alert. So what is the difference between ADD, attention deficit disorder, and ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder? In short... People often use the terms ADD and ADHD interchangeably, although the current correct medical terminology is ADHD or Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. 
To better explain, let's briefly discuss the language used for describing the diagnosis in general. Diagnostic terminology for psychiatric and behavioral disorders comes from the Diagnostic Statistical Manual, which is called the DSM. The manual used by doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists to identify and describe and code various conditions. And we code them so we know how to, to apply certain treatments. The names of various diagnoses have changed over the years. And though as a series of revisions to the manual as a research has improved as research has approved and new information has come to light, it used to be called Jumpin' Johnny's many years ago. ADHD were more specifically known as many names in years in the past years since it was first recorded in the medical research as late as the 1700s. And that's when they were called Jumpin' Johnny's. It was not included in the diagnostic manuals for health professionals until 1968. And in fact, at one time, ADHD was referred to as minimal brain dysfunction. Thankfully, times have changed. As research and understanding of this condition has grown over the decades, the diagnosis name and description has evolved. Many people recall the term attention deficit disorder and still use it today out of familiarity, and many people, especially those who were diagnosed with ADHD or worked with individuals with ADHD before the publication of the DSM-4 in 1994, often used the term ADHD and ADD interchangeably. ADD was a diagnostic term used in the third edition of the DSM, released in 1980. Later revisions of the DSM changed the diagnosis name to Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder, to reflect new findings and research. The most recent revision, the DSM-5, breaks attention deficit hyperactive disorder into three subtypes, predominantly inattentive, predominantly hyperactive impulsive, and the combined presentation of both, to accurately reflect the most common forms of the condition. Though using the term ADD may in some cases refer specifically to ADHD of the inattentive presentation, the term is just often is as often used as a substitute for ADHD with the unspoken assumption that the quote-unquote type or presence of a particular symptom like hyperactivity would have to be specified on a case-by-case basis. So the history of... of the ADHD diagnosis kind of looked like this. In 68, when we had the second diagnostic statistical manual, it was called hyperkinetic reaction of childhood. Then, 12 years later, in 1980, attention deficit disorder with or without hyperactivity came into play. In 1987, with the newest revision of the DSM-3R, Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder and no subtypes were included. In 1994, DSM said that Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder and they specified the inattentive, the hyperactivity, excuse me, the hyperactive, impulsive, and the combined type. In 2000, with the text revision that was done to the DSM-4, Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder specify inattentive, hyperactive, impulsive, or combined types. In 2013, with the DSM-5, Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder specified predominantly inattentive or inattentive presentations, predominantly hyperactive, and the combined presentation. So, the names have changed. The <clears throat> treatment plans have changed and have looked differently. And what people have continued to do is look at what some of the causes might be. Like, where does this come from? We know it's genetically based, but what are some ideas of where it might uh, originate? So we're gonna take another little break. And when we get back from the break, we'll discuss what some of the causes of ADHD are and some treatment ideas. So I look forward to seeing you back in a couple minutes.
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Life has its joys and challenges. At Total Programs, we can assist you with the challenges and show you that solutions are possible when good strategies are put into place. At Total Programs, we understand how difficult your day can be. And our goal is to assist your family in having a supportive, safe, and successful environment where love and joy can reign. We can design programs and strategies to bring you the success, safety, and support that you desire for your home, school, and community. Call 1-866-54-TUTOR or visit TotalPrograms.org. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean, Living the Challenge. We'd love to encourage your participation in the program. Call into 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to seansurface at totalprograms.org. Now, back to this week's show. Well, welcome back, listeners. We've been uh, speaking this morning about attention deficit disorder and, and 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 really trying to describe it in multiple ways without really thinking about it as being a disorder or uh, being a deficit. It was built into our brains to protect us and keep us safe, and it's still with us. It's part of our instinctual brain, and what would be most useful would be is if we could find ways to utilize it rather than figure out ways to get rid of it. So I talked about some causes, but I want to I want to definitely bring some things out. ADHD is not caused is not caused by poor parenting. So many parents get blamed for their child's misbehavior, quote unquote. Because, you know, we're supposed to be able to control what our kids do. Well, this is a brain thing that the child's doing without really thinking about it. Thus, a parent is not going to necessarily be prepared unless they've been dealing with some of the same issues themselves, which is pretty common. That somebody else in the family, mom or dad, also demonstrates some of the intentional issues. So, again, ADHD is not caused by poor parenting. It's not caused by falls or head injuries. It's not caused by traumatic life events. It's not caused by digital distractions. Playing video games and television does not cause ADHD. In fact, it's a way of building up attention. So it's not a deficit. You know, the person can zone on it, but... Usually, with a video game, if they want to continue playing, they've got to stay pretty focused on the details of what's going on in the game. So it could be a really good way of building attentional skills and using those hyper-attentional skills. So it's interesting because we call it attention deficit, but the person may be tuning into multiple things at once, and their brain requires that. See, like with autism, we have what's called hypoarousal. Excuse me. We have what's called hyperarousal. The brain is overstimulated 
by an abundance of stimulus going on. With ADHD, we have hypoarousal. The brain goes from thing to thing to try and stay stimulated in order to be alert. So, again, things like television and video games are not going to deter the alertness. They're probably going to increase the alertness. Um, A lack of physical activity is not something that causes ADHD. Food additives and food allergies through the research has not shown that it causes inattentiveness or excess sugar, which is a huge one because excess sugar does not necessarily cause a lot of hype, more hyperactivity than it's already there. It just may keep the person awake longer. So researchers used to believe that ADHD was, a, was related to a minor head injury or brain damage. But most people with ADHD have no such history, and this theory has been disproved. Others have speculated that refined sugars and food additives cause ADHD. While refined sugar isn't good for one's health in general, there has not been a scientifically proven correlation between sugar and food and, and excuse me, between sugar and food additives and ADHD. ADHD is caused by chemical, structural, and connected connectivity differences in the brain mostly as a result of genetics, as I've been discussing. There are chemical differences. Research shows that those with ADHD have abnormalities in how the neurotransmitters, dopamine and norepinephrine, work to facilitate communication between the neurons and activation of various brain functions. Differences in communications routes related to reward and consequence, a pathway involving dopamine activity, have been found to be particularly problematic in the brains of individuals with ADHD, and that's Valkrow's work of 2009. As have, oh, let's see, where are we? Prob- what he found was that there's particular problems in the brains of individuals with ADHD, as have brain networks involved in engagement with regulation of attention. Disruption of s- in serotonin levels and activity may play a role particularly in affecting the modulation and regulation of the dopamine system. So if the dopamine system is at play to keep the person alert, the serotonin levels may also be affected and may affect that dopamine structure. ADHD has differences in activity levels and ways that certain areas are structured. Ongoing research demonstrates differences in brain metabolism, development, and the volume in the brain structure in those with ADHD. A researcher by the name of Zemetkin and his colleagues published the first neuroimaging study of adults with ADHD in 1990. This study used PET scans to study the brain metabolism in in adults with ADHD as compared to non-ADHD adults. The study found that adults with ADHD had brain scans showing significantly reduced activity throughout the brain, especially within two areas of the brain responsible for motor activity and the attention capacity, the premotor cortex and the prefrontal cortex. Several studies have also shown the differences in volume, gray and white matter, and activity levels within the structures such as the prefrontal cortex, the conduit nucleus, the ventrals, the substantia nigra, the cerebellum, the corpus callosum. The corpus callosum, by the way, is the area that's between the brain and the, the, the two hemispheres of the brain. And in a sense, it connects the two hemispheres. So you've seen issues of the corpus callosums in individuals with ADHD. Maybe there is a large amount of stimulus or a large amount of activity overwhelming the corpus callosum. The the ADHD brain connects and communicates differently than the neurotypical brains. Studies continue to validate a theory of poor connectivity between different brain parts along with different communication routes, primarily what is referred to as a default mode network. Dysfunction in this network gets in the way of performance and effort engagement and activity.
dysfunction in this network gets in the way of performance and efforts, engagement, and activity. I think I already said that. So what is the genetic? Several genes have been linked to ADHD, which is highly heritable. Various genes have been correlated with ADHD, including dopamine receptor genes, as well as a dopamine transport gene. Genes impacting serotonin activity may also play a role in the ADHD. There is a great deal of evidence that ADHD runs in families, which is suggestive of genetic factors. This is, there is a great deal of evidence that it runs in families. You commonly see one family member demonstrating impulsivity or inattention when their children do too. Recent studies suggest that anywhere from 40 to 60% of adults with ADHD will also have the condition as, will also have the condition. So the children of adults with ADHD, about half, will also demonstrate the same condition. So how do you diagnose it? Well, ADHD is a complex diagnosis that is important to work with a professional familiar with, di- with ADHD when seeking the diagnosis. ADHD can be diagnosed via extensive interview procedures, behavior and symptom rating scales, third-party observations, and obtaining a comprehensive history. Comprehensive neuropsychological and psychoeducational testing can have many benefits, though it's not necessary for diagnosis. Neuropsychological testing can help you learn the ins and outs of your unique brain profile, which can be extremely beneficial in learning to live well with ADHD after being given the diagnosis. Neuropsychological and psychoeducational testing are also pivotal in the process of attention, of excuse me, in the process of attaining academic, standardized testing, and workplace accommodations. As ADHD is a disorder that is present throughout the lifespan, family members, spouses, and teachers, if applicable, are often asked to provide a third-party observation and complete behavior rating scales to verify the course of symptoms over time. Seek out a psychologist. Seek out a, a school psychologist. Seek out an educational psychologist specializing in ADHD and relating challenges if you'd like to be evaluated for ADHD. While a primary care physician can typically identify signs of ADHD and give a preliminary diagnosis, they may not have extensive ADHD-specific experience necessary to accurately diagnose and treat. See, a lot of people can diagnose the ADHD, but the treatment plans have to be done by somebody who's had extensive history working with individuals with ADHD. Often a primary care physician will refer you to a psychiatrist or psychologist specializing in mental health in these instances, just as they would refer you to a cardiologist for more in-depth exploration of a heart problem. Teachers and coaches cannot diagnose ADHD, though they're your the, the best interviewers you can interview. They're the ones that really see how the child can concentrate, pay attention to direction, utilize their motor skills in a, in a way that is uh, in accordance with the directions and instructions they've been given. So though the teacher or the coach can't give the diagnosis, they are very good at being able to talk to you about the symptomology that they see. So what are some effective treatments? Medication serves to manage brain-based functions, and it's going to work if it's going to apply something to that area that I was talking about, the bed nucleus. We want to be able to stabilize serotonin levels. We want those neurotransmitters of neuropronephrine and dopamine to be able to to function appropriately. So the medication that's used is, is important. Cognitive behavioral therapy and mindfulness basis, based practices have been found to be the most effective therapeutic interventions. Studies have begun to show promising results using dialectical behavioral therapy as well. As well, This is because these modalities focus on identifying internal and external barriers to, adapting, uh, to adaptive coping 
behaviors and working towards developing new workable actions and skills in the present moment. Find a clinician that is familiar with ADHD so that the minor obstacles such as being late to a session, interrupting the therapist, or experiencing trouble following through with therapy goals will not be seen as a result of a deep psychological neurosis, but instead as understood as a function of the brain-based condition. An ADHD-friendly therapist will view these situations as opportunities to help you step away from shame-based stories about your challenges. In addition to new to building new skills and coping strategies, it's often helpful to process the emotional and interpersonal effects of ADHD. As most people with a diagnosis experience feelings of shame, guilt, failure, chronic stress, and feeling overwhelmed, group therapy programs and peer support groups are immensely helpful in this regard. ADHD can be extremely helpful in navigating the waters of uh, excuse me, couples and families therapy, as well as simple psychoeducation about what it means to live with ADHD, can be extremely helpful in navigating the waters and the relationships with this condition. ADHD coaching has been found to be effective in those with ADHD towards identifying and meeting goals, maintaining a positive approach to change, and improving productivity while providing a source of accountability. Many seek out coaching when their goals involve improving organizational skills, time management, goal completion, and productivity. Medication is often used to help normalize brain activity and must be carefully prescribed and monitored by a physician, preferably a psychiatrist and not primarily a just a, um, a, a typical care physician. So there are a lot of accommodations that can be uh, utilized and hopefully again on another show we'll be able to discuss more I am very very happy that we were able to have a brief discussion on ADHD today there are accommodations and and academic supports that can be utilized um, I want to thank all the parents and teachers out there for understanding their kids and working hard with them I also want to throw out a very quick uh, congratulations to one of our Total Programs employees, Beatrice Flores, for doing such a good job in passing her registered behavioral therapist uh, program. So remember that on Strategies and Solutions, taking on the challenge with Dr. Sean, we're about your success and know that each day can be the new future you dream of having in your life. We'll see you next time. Blessings. Thanks so much for listening to Solutions and Strategies with Dr. Sean. Living the challenge. Be sure to join us again next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a great week.